0: Uh, and how much he he loves you you know and so just thankful um for your service and for your ministry and that we get to partner together and so um yeah let's just uh welcome steve and sharon and uh uh,
1: thanks man (laughs) i'm gonna i think this is working okay fantastic good uh well, let me just say, first of all, Marty, that was a beautiful first song that you chose and it spoke to my heart. And it actually is right in line with what I'm going to talk about today. So I think God had that uh, as part of the program for this morning. What a wonderful church uh, faith is. We love coming to this church and we sense that there is a genuine spirit of God amongst the people in this church. Uh, I'm excited to be back. You know, we go, we are in Africa for three to four years at a time and then when we come back... To the United States, we get to see how the churches have changed. And boy, it is fantastic to see what God is doing in, in faith church. So praise the Lord for all of that. And I have to say, I've never gotten to speak with a purple lighted background before in Africa. And this is kind of exciting for me as well. Excellent. Uh, my name is Steve and Twistle, and Sharon is here. And we have our three kids. I want them to stand up Micah and then Josiah, followed by Krista. Yes. Thanks, guys. Good. Uh, Before we present some of the ministry that the Lord has given to us, I wanted to first of all just say, before I forget, that at the back of the church in the foyer, we have uh, a little sheet there that you can sign up your name and your email address, and we would love to have you on our mailing contact list. We send out updates every so often. You'll know pretty soon who's writing the email. When Sharon and I first got married, I would always start out with, Steve, and then I'd write my part, and then Sharon, and she'd write her part, but it became kind of obvious after a while because mine are usually kind of silly and funny, and Sharon is more deep and meaningful, and you'll figure out pretty soon who's writing. Uh, but we would love to have you on our list. We actually forgot to bring our recently printed prayer card pictures of our family. But we will bring them and uh, drop them off at the church so uh, that you can get them maybe next week or whatever. What we're going to do this morning, uh, we'd like to share a PowerPoint which kind of summarizes what our last term of service was like, what we were doing in Africa. And then after that, I'm going to turn it over to Sharon. She's a much better speaker than me. She'll share some things, and then when she's done, I'll get up and and close. So we're going to run the PowerPoint now. Thanks.
0: Since we're on this, does that work? Um, Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm Sharon Enfissel, and I do feel just honored to be here with you guys. Um, We have a long history with this church, but as I look out over this congregation it's a blessing because I don't know who you are. There's so many people I don't know, which means to me that this church is filling up with new people, and that is God's blessing. So praise the Lord. But there are the faithful ones here that um, I know Helen Morrison has prayed for us for years and years and years, and I just feel so blessed by faith, by faith church. Thank you. So I wanted to share um, just a little bit from my own heart um, with you before um, Steve sort of presents the, the bigger ministry part of things. Um, there's big things out there. There's a tribe of people that are, that, in mission terms, we, we title unreached because they have yet to be reached with the gospel. Um, there's wars and political issues happening in the center of Africa. There's huge things happening that tug on our hearts and questions that we have. Um, and I'll let Steve tell you a little bit more about that. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what it does in my heart as um, wife and mother um, who has to live the, real, the reality of it. <laughs> it looks good on screen. But there's somebody that has to do the normal, real thing. And that's sometimes I'll say that to Steve you know, you get out there and go evangelize and I stay home and build a fire and cook my food on the fire. You know, I'm the real, Like the, I gotta do the reality check. Well, the truth of it is, um, I'm a huge wimp. I, I am a person um, that often is controlled by fear. That's the truth. Before, um, this has been a long journey to get us to where we are right now. And... um Fear has been a big part of my journey. A constant battle between the words of God and the truth of his word and fear that says, but wait, can I do, I can't do this. It's beyond me, it's too big for me. I wanted to share just a little bit about my journey and battle with fear, um, because I think that as believers, there may be others in here that battle with the same thing. Um, I'm afraid of the political instabilities. I don't want to face stuff that I'm not gonna know what to do. You know, if something happens, it could happen anytime. Um, I'm scared of those political things. There was rebel groups, there's, anything can happen and I'm scared of those things. I'm fearful of um, um, our family. As a mom, I'm scared of what's gonna happen with my kids. And I feel like, you know, we have said to them, we're making these decisions because we believe God is asking us to do this. But the decisions we make totally affect their lives. So we're choosing to make huge decisions that affect our children's lives for the rest of their life. It's going to be part of their story. And that scares me. I don't, you know, sometimes I think, oh God, you know, are you sure? Or am I sure that you're sure? You know, I don't know. And I get all fear filled. I'm my Our kids have had to go to a boarding school. They've started into boarding school. And it scares me to leave them in a country, get in an airplane and fly away to another country. I don't want to be that far away from them. What if something happens to them? I can't get there. I can't be next to them. I have to trust that someone else is going to jump in there and that God will provide that. I have to trust. And, you know, I don't really want to sometimes. I don't feel like it. I'd like to be the one there. Um... I get scared about finances. How are we possibly going to have enough money that it's impossible to have enough money to cover all these flights and, you know, we can't travel by road because of the political instability. We can't, there's no commercial flights, so we can't pay for a seat on an airplane. We have to charter an airplane to come get us. And those costs are exorbitant. So we have to think through every time we want to leave the country. Well, all the what ifs come into my mind. What if? We have to evacuate because something 's erupting. What if something happens to my children and I want to be there? You know i, I won 't have the money to go. I get scared of um, just living with bugs and snakes it 's true. I just do <laughs> i don 't like it i can 't stand critters and you know things like um, you scoop a bucket of water and wash dishes by scooping up. Well, I was at, woke up one morning, my bucket of water was on the floor and it was kind of dark in the kitchen. So I was scooping water out and washing dishes in the sink. Then I took my bucket outside where it was light and I could actually see what was in my bucket. There was a dead rat floating in my bucket and I had been washing my dishes with my, and sticking my hand in there. And I don't know why I didn't notice it. I mean, I must have just been in a, hurry, but I missed it. I hate that kind of stuff. I don't like those stories. I could, I I stopped myself here in my notes. I said, stop, (laughs) because I will keep telling more stories of things I'm scared of. And the truth is, when I read my Bible, I look for the wimps of scripture. I shouldn't call them that because I know that God worked in their hearts, but Somehow that makes me feel better <laughs> if I, I'm a wimp. And I find those people who had similar things. Um, and in the past um, few months, I've been homeschooling Josiah, and we were studying Jonah together. And I so get Jonah. God just really opened my eyes to say, Look, Sharon, you and Jonah, You know, one day I'm going to sit down and have a chat with him. Because I think we could really have a lot in common. And I don't think it was that Jonah didn't believe God. I don't think that's why he ran from him. I think he knew far too well how big God was. And he just said, no way, I can't do it. I can't. It's too big for me. And I've been at that very spot. No way. I cannot do this. God, you're going to ask me something that's too big and I can't do it. And I don't want to. That I have been at that place. And that's why I I look at Jonah and I think, God, you worked with him. You know, you can work with me. And the thing that I love about Jonah, the story of Jonah, is right at the end, he says to him, God says to him, Jonah's sitting there on the edge of the big mountainside looking down at Nineveh where, um, you know, he was supposed to preach the gospel, and he did it with his teeth gritted, I'm sure, but he did it, and God worked and moved, and Jonah's sitting up there waiting to see God zap those wicked people. And God grows a vine over him, and he rests in the shelter of the shadow of this vine, and he gets a little relief. And then God says, I sent the worm to destroy that vine. And Jonah's so mad. The only thing he can threaten God with is his own life. So he's like, I'm going to do myself in. (laughs) You know, that's his only threat to God. And so he, he wants to kill himself. He wants to die. He's so angry at God. And God says, You are so concerned about something you didn't plant, you didn't water, you didn't make grow. Why should I not be concerned about hundreds of thousands of souls who do not know me and are dying without truth? And that perspective really kind of hits me hard that I am so concerned with things that I cannot do anything about But God is concerned with souls, with people who he desires to bring glory to him. I look at one other quick story of um, another wimp in scripture is Elisha's servant. Not Elisha. He's like, whoa, he's an amazing man. I'd like to hear his story someday, but I think I'm going to find his servant first because it's his servant that this army is coming to, to capture Elisha. They're mad at him. They're coming to take him away, a huge, huge army. And Elisha's servant panics, freaks out. I would have done the same thing. And he says, there's too many of them. What are we going to do, Elisha? And Elisha just says, oh, there's so many more of us than there are of him. And Elisha's servant's like, you know, I can count. (laughs) There's one, two. That's it. That's us. And Elisha says, dear God, open his eyes. Let him see. And suddenly God lifts that, that darkness from him, that, that narrow vision. But that's my narrow vision. I know that. <laughs> I've been there. And God lifts that narrow vision and he says, oh, there is a multitude of shining soldiers ready to protect us. He who is for us is so much greater than he who is in the world. And so I grab onto these promises of God that in uh, my fear, in my weakness, um, I hang on to the fact that God has made these bigger things than me. He is created. He is so much bigger than me, and he knows so much more. And just um, if I had time, I would, um, I could answer each of those fears with things specific things that God has done to say to me. You were afraid of this, but I did this for you to show you that I can cover that. And I'll just give you... Um, I gotta give you one story at least. <clears throat> I have so many. Um, all right, I'm gonna tell the story of Micah. Even though I said it in Sunday school, it's just the best one of Micah and Krista. We, we you again sent them off to school, and, um, I had prayed when we knew we were gonna be leaving them at boarding school that I would be able to see them for at least halfway through. They do a three month term, and then halfway, six weeks, is their midterm, so they get to go home, but we we're too far away to have them come home, so we had to, find people, their guardians, who would take care of them. And I had prayed, Lord, let me go and be there for them. And we didn't have the money, and we didn't... Even the airplane had been canceled because of political unrest in the capital. And so I didn't think it was possible to go. And only, like, two weeks before we were leaving, our youngest, Josiah, asked me, Mom, do you think we're going to get to go? And I was in tears, and I said, No, we can't go, and, you know, we're not going to get to do it. And I was all upset. Well... I have to make the story short. it's a good long story, but I have to make it short. Um, God sent a friend who's who flies supplies for the military um has nothing to do with us, but he knows a friend of ours and he flew in a big supply of military stuff and again he's chartered somebody chartered his airplane, so it's not you know that he has the ability to just be kind to us and help us but He flew in the supplies, and he said to us, I'm going out empty. Do you want to send anything with me? And so within half an hour, we got the call that he was coming in, and he said, and we asked him, you know, would you be able to take Josiah and I on the plane? And he said, I'm going to save those seats. And so in half an hour, we packed up our stuff. And when I told Josiah that morning, I said, guess what, Josiah? We're going to get to fly out today. And Josiah's response was, yeah, I knew God was going to do that. And so I knew that it was really the faith of Josiah that got us on that airplane. But those are the things that to me, I have been able to say, my fears, you know, are, I I can't, I can't do anything. It's like, it's beyond me. I want to be able to control something. I want to be able to do something to make it happen. And I can't. And I feel, you know, like useless sometimes, but God says it is about him. It is his glory. It is for his sake And my verse for this new year that God has just given me is in Haggai. I've been studying the book of Haggai. And God says in Haggai, he says, well, first of all, just a little backup. He's like, what are you doing sitting in your nice little houses? Get out there and build my house. And he said, that's what it's about. It's building his kingdom. And then he says, um, so that, why should we build his kingdom? I love this phrase. He says, so that I can take pleasure in it and be honored. And I, when I read that, I thought, that's my verse. That is what we're doing. I want to see that smile on my God's face when he... And I know that he's too big for me to to give pleasure and honor to. We need this entire body of Christ to honor that big God of ours. But if we can be in our little corner um, giving him... Honor and glory, and you, where He has planted you, then as a body, we are going to honor Him in the way He deserves, in the way He, yeah, the way He deserves. May we be that um, pleasure to God. Thank you.
1: I'm going to ask you guys a question, see if if you know any trivia details here. Who can tell me how many different ethnic people groups there are in the world? Does anybody have an idea? (coughs) 5,000? It's even more. Different people groups, different tribes, people that speak a a distinct dialect and have a distinct culture. There are, let me get this for you here there are 16,404 people groups that the Joshua Project has identified as uh, legitimate. They speak a different language. They have a different culture than than the neighbors around them. Out of that 16,404, guess how many have not yet received the gospel message? 6,648. That represents 40.5% of the people groups in this world, have yet to hear and to know Jesus as their Savior. And how does Joshua Project identify an unreached people group? You may be wondering, well, how do they even come up with those statistics? If less than 2% of a given people group are not evangelical believers, then they are on the list of people who are considered unreached. So that gives you an idea. And I often use the example of Coca-Cola by saying that in a 100 years, Coke has gone everywhere in the world. And how is it that the church that has been here for more than 2,000 years has yet uh, to reach out to some of these places in the world? Jesus' last words, and we know that when someone has something very important to say on their deathbed, or if they're the last thing that they're going to say, that's really important news. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we know from... Revelation chapter 7, let me just read that for you real quickly here. Revelation chapter 7 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So we know that the ultimate plan is that God is going to redeem people out of every tongue, tribe, and nation. But there's still 6,000 plus people groups who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 10. He says, How then... Can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? It is the responsibility of the church to take up that mantle, the great commission, the great news that we sing about, that that you hear about each Sunday here. It is our responsibility to bring the good news to the nations. One of the people groups, and I'm going to have the PowerPoint guys to just put the pictures up behind me, a people group who God laid upon my heart and upon Sharon's heart are called the Mbororo. The Mbororo are these people, they're, they're pretty funky looking dudes as you can see. That's a guy. Uh, and they're part of a, 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 it's a rain dance ceremony and they dress up and they, uh, they almost look like transvestites, some of the pictures. But they are trying to make themselves beautiful according to their culture and uh, then a girl will pick a, a warrior based upon his beauty. Well, you'll see from these pictures, if you pay close attention, that a lot of them have amulets and charms around them. And that's because their worldview is one in which they fear the spirit world. They are scared to death. Sharon talks about the fears that she has. Well, imagine facing those fears without the Lord on your side, okay? They do not have any defense against uh, ancestral spirits that may be angry with them, demonic spirits unless they wear these charms that the witch doctor will have prescribed for them. And so their worldview is very much one in which they have to manipulate the spirit world, defend themselves against uh, being bewitched or against curses, and that is their only hope, really, to lead a, a productive, happy, sort of happy life. How sad is that? They do not know the true king of kings who frees us out of the bondage of evil. And so, these are the Imbororo people that you're seeing pictures of. Strikingly beautiful. They dress with beautiful clothing, bright colors. Uh, Some of them have some facial tattoos, as you'll be seeing there. They're part of a people group called the Fulani. The Fulani are the largest nomadic people group in the world. Okay, There are 37 million Fulani. But the Imbororo are a people group, a subgroup within the Fulani people... Who speak the same language as the rest of the 37 million, but they're called the Embororo because they are cattle herders. Okay, so they they have cattle. They they move around with their cattle. They go to wherever the the greener pastures may be. And on top of that, they are folk Islamic. I already talked about the spiritism that that's involved, but they believe in Islam. Now their worldview really centers around that spirit world that they believe. But Islam is what they would all claim as their religion. Okay, so there's obstacles here for the gospel for sure. But we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we know that Jesus is on our side. How did Sharon and I come to a point of feeling that the Lord was leading us to the Umbororo? Well, I was, uh, we were working in Mozambique. We had been there for about eight years. and The ministry was, was going slowly, not... not by leaps and bounds, but slowly we were progressing, and I was in Kenya at a leadership conference, and I felt one of the speakers spoke about the Central African Republic, which is one of the places where the Imbororo the people live, and he explained about the Imbororo, and Sharon's parents, I don't, I don't think Sharon mentioned this, but her parents worked in the Central African Republic for about 25 years. She grew up there, and she already speaks one of the, the local languages there, and uh Anyway, so, but I had always thought that CAR is not for me. That's where my in-laws worked. I'm not going to piggyback on their ministry. That's just weird. So, but that day when I was in Kenya, I, the only thing I can say is that the Holy Spirit moved in my heart and I had goosebumps all over me as this guy talked on and on at length about CAR, about the Imbororo people. And I flew back to Mozambique. Sharon had stayed behind with the kids and In Mozambique, simultaneous to God calling me to the Imbororo in C.A.R., God gave Sharon a dream, and in her dream she saw herself in Zemio, the little town village where she grew up, speaking in front of the church in her language, this Pazande language that she speaks, and she was telling them that we're here for you and for the Imbororo people. Well, when we got back together, it was like, wow, this is shockingly, amazingly clear that God does have a plan for us to, to work in CAR. Well Sharon has already told you how there's instability, there's there's trouble in the area. The Lord's Resistance Army is a powerful rebel group that has been abducting children and causing havoc in the area for for years and years. You've probably heard of Joseph uh, Coney in 2012. They had those stickers on all the cars. Coney 2012 He has caused all sorts of problems and because of that we were not able to move quickly into CAR. We were waiting for God's timing, but we feel that the timing is right, and uh, we, we went ahead in faith, and over the last year, uh, the last three months before coming back to the United States, we spent in the Central African Republic, in Zemio, the town where, where Sharon actually grew up in, and uh, we, we met with the Zande people who were there. This is the other tribe, so let me just... Back up and explain. There's two tribes. You have the Zande tribe, which is the language Sharon speaks. And they were the people that Sharon's parents worked with all those years. And now you have this resident group of Mbororo who have come into the area as nomads in the last 10 to 15 years and are starting to live right there in Zemio. And so uh, our vision is to reach out to the Mbororo people, but also engage the Zande church to be part of the Great Commission. I, uh, just Part of my philosophy of ministry is where God already is present, that is the arm by which God is going to extend His kingdom. And He has a church planted um, already amongst the Zandi, but they haven't really caught the vision of reaching out to the Mbororo, who are right there in in their vicinity. So our dream, our vision, is that we would be able to, as a team, reach out to the Zandi church and to the Mbororo people creating bridges where the Zandis can also come alongside, work with us, uh, engage with the Imbororo people, and that together we would see a harvest for the kingdom amongst the Imbororo people. Uh, We have a uh, a team of missionaries that are going to join us in this effort. Sharon and I are going to be the team leaders, and uh, we're looking forward to this team. Interestingly, the team we led in Mozambique had people from five different continents, but this team that God is giving us, is all from the United States, which is fine. I'm sure we'll have a Super Bowl party or something. Uh, I don't even know yet how that'll work. We, we don't have internet or anything, but we'll figure it out. Um, and uh, so we have a team of Americans who are coming to join us, two single gals, and we have three other families. All together, counting all our kids, we're 14 children. Not all of them will be on site with us at the same time. Most of them will be in, in boarding school. Uh, but we have this team of missionaries coming to join us in this effort. And uh, we're excited to kick this off in September of this year. And the team will run for about two and a half years is the plan. We're going to be living in the Central African Republic and uh, in that little town called Zemio. And we would just want you as as a church to be praying with us that God would raise up the funds for our team to be able to come work with us. Uh, we praise the Lord for partners like Faith Fellowship who have come alongside of us, enabling us to do what, what we sense God is leading us to do. Uh, but would you pray for us as we get houses ready? I can't even explain to you how complicated it is just to build a house in, in this village. You can't just you know run down to Home Depot or anything like that. To get a bag of cement costs about one hundred dollars for one bag of cement. Everything comes across by, by truck and by military convoy is the only way vehicles are getting through it 's just a dangerous area. Lots of bandits on the road. The roads are just terrible nothing 's paved of course. They say the ruts are about a meter deep i haven 't been on that road myself We, we take uh, the plane in and out is the only way we 've been able to do it, uh, but to just to get building supplies is a headache. Uh, so would you just pray with us that, that God would provide uh, the funds and, and the, the labor that we need to get this done uh, so that our team will be able to kick off in, in September. But more importantly, would you be praying that the Mbororo people would know Jesus as their Savior? We need prayer warriors. What we've seen from our experience working with a Muslim people group in in, uh, in Mozambique is that typically the way God works amongst the Muslim people, is that he raises up believers through dreams and through visions and through dramatic healings. And that seems to be the main way that God is raising up uh, a harvest for his kingdom amongst the people in the Muslim world. Would you be praying that God would move and stir amongst the Embororo people? Our heart's desire is that they would have a church that would worship him in their language called Fufulde that they would use their cultural expressions of how they worship, that that would be their church and that God would be a personal God to them and that it would be a church that has a vision to reach out to the Mboro around them and even across their tribal lines to other people groups as well. So that is our dream. That is our heart's desire. And uh, we thank you for, for praying with us and for partnering with us. Uh, I know that time is just about over, but I just wanted to share a devotional thought that uh, really just ties in so beautifully with what uh, Marty Marty's saying about this morning, the first song about I am overwhelmed. And this is the, the passage that God has given to me for this furlough time here in the States. And it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you want to just read that quickly with me or you can just listen. It says this, For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul was a guy who, uh, it was promised about him that God says to Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. And sure enough, Paul, of all the apostles that we see in Scripture, Paul Suffered maybe the most of all of them. Just to give you a quick rundown of some of the things he suffered. He was in prison. He was flogged. He was exposed to death. Five times he was whipped with 39 lashes each time. I did the math. That's 195 lashes he he went through. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was stoned and left for dead once. Three times shipwrecked. 24 hours on open sea at one point. Always moving. I calculated he walked 3,800 miles, and he went 5,300 miles on ship. Uh, he was often in danger, was sleep-deprived, went hungry, went thirsty, was cold, went naked, and carried on his shoulders the concern for all the churches. All of that comes out of Second Corinthians chapter 11, by the way. And that was just in the first 22, minutes, 22 years of his ministry. That doesn't even include the next 11 years before he was ultimately imprisoned and beheaded, uh, tradition has it, in Rome. So Paul was a guy who, out of anybody, he would have had the right to at some point just throw in the towel and say, enough's enough. God, I am done. I can't take this anymore. But his words here in Second Corinthians 5.14, he says, but Christ's love compels me. And that word compels is a strong word it's that that's what drives me that's what energizes me that's what gives me the motivation to get up and to keep doing the calling for which i know god has given me now i don't know what it is god has laid on your hearts uh maybe it's not to go to a far nation like he's laid upon our hearts but right where you are my question for you this morning is what is driving you what is energizing you what is motivating you each and every day I looked into a little bit about psychology uh, as I've been thinking about this, and there's all these famous psychologists that talk about what motivates us as humans from a humanistic perspective. and and how there's this higher, this pyramid and self-actualization, becoming all that we think we can become, and then there's this layer of everyone's looking for significance and, and self-esteem and respect from others, and then there's another layer of security and financial stability, and then there's shelter and food and, and, and those things at the bottom. But at the end of the day, all of us are motivated by something. All of us are. Whether we're Christians or not. But I believe that as believers in Christ, we have a deeper reason, a deeper purpose, and a deeper cause to get up each day. And that is Christ's love. Christ's love compels us. It ought to compel us. And it doesn't always compel us, does it? I mean, we, we live our lives often, unfortunately, not in God's grace and not in us. Uh, we often try to do things in our own power and with our own fleshly desires. But my heart's desire is that going to work amongst the Mbororo people, that it would be Christ's love that's compelling me to do that. That it wouldn't be me, Steve, uh, the missionary kid who grew up from Africa, who's trying to you know, establish something really good for the mission. Or that me, Steve, who's trying to be a great team leader, so my team members will look to me and think that I'm wise or something like that. No, may it be Christ's love that compels me whatever I do. And I love that song, that when we are overwhelmed by God's love and by His grace and by His mercy, that is when we are able to draw uh, that motivation, that purpose and that power to to face whatever it is, the difficulties that many of you are facing, the challenges, uh, the calling that God has given to each and every one of us. May it be Christ's love that compels us to that. And I don't know if Marty, could we sing the chorus just in closing, could we sing the chorus of that first song again? I loved that, the words of that song. And and think to yourself, what is it that is compelling you right now? May it not be a humanistic psycho, uh, psychologist reason, but may it be Christ's love that is compelling you. Thank you.